There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. <laughs> right. We'll see where it works. One, two, one, two, one, two, one. Nah, we're back. Thank God. Thank God the vocal cords are back working. Thank you to Fiona for Thursday and Friday. Thank you to you for putting up with me in the state I was in for the few days of uh, last week. But thankfully, all is good to go again. 0818 96 96 96. Hope you had a good uh, bank holiday weekend. The weather didn't do us any favours until yesterday. I went down yesterday down to West Cork, down to beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Baltimore. And we just sat in the sun and you could have been, for that couple of hours in the afternoon, you could have been in Spain. It was a beautiful day yesterday and it kind of made up for an awful lot of the gunk that had been thrown down upon us in uh, the previous few days. So, uh, you know, it's always another week after an old bank holiday weekend. It'd be slow and a bit sluggish and people be wondering, why didn't I take an extra day or two off the work? So we'll get through it together. Will we do that? We will. And I have a giveaway later with Put Solutions. They're back with us for another giveaway. Do that a little bit later in the morning but plenty to come but first of all uh, when the rest of us were looking out the window at the pouring rain on uh, Sunday wondering what had happened to all those good weather forecasts we had been hearing this man was breaking the course record for the Cork City Marathon Uh, Tim O'Donoghue good morning to you congratulations yeah good morning PJ Um, I I think I was uh, I was like everyone else looking out at the forecast and checking the weather on Sunday morning, but I, I suppose it wasn't great for spectating, even though there was a lot of people out around the course, but in terms of running conditions and trying to get a good time, it was actually reasonably good. That's what you I know. wanted to ask you about. Like, what, as, as a marathon runner, which do you prefer? Do you, do you prefer normal June weekend weather, sunny and warm, or do you prefer the kind of gunk we had on Sunday? Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I think in general, the, the, the weather we had on Sunday was more preferable to, to good conditions or good times, you know. Like, it, over at previous Cork Marathons, it's either been torrential or you've had very warm conditions with warm breezes along different parts of the courses. But, no, I, I think in general it is. They, they were good conditions. Again, like, once you start the race, you don't tend to notice the rain, even if it picks up. Um, but, uh, again, for spectating, it wasn't the best, even though there was a lot of people in around Patrick Street and, and dotted at various checkpoints around the course. Yeah, yeah. I'm a mem- member of the, the famous East Cork Club, of course, team. But what's your marathon history? I take it it wasn't your first rodeo, as they say. Um, no, just I suppose with the club in East Cork, we're a, a relatively small club, but we we, we tend to punch above our weight. Yes. With you know, we we compete in a lot of the the, the different disciplines in athletics, cross country, track, and, and road. And there was actually one of our club members, Roy Fahey, won the race way back in twenty in in two thousand and eight. Right. Oh, yeah, in terms of myself and marathon running, I did uh, Dublin in twenty eighteen, and I did Cork in twenty nineteen. Right. But Again, going back to conditions, I remember in Cork in 2019, it was very warm and there was a bit of a breeze. Yeah. So, look, I thought times were a little slower. So this year, again, even though maybe the people who don't run or who are spectating, it looks like it, it could be tough to run a quick time, but it, it's when you're out there in those conditions, you, you'd actually prefer them. Yeah. Would you be a fellow who was always a marathon runner or did you move from middle distance or, or anything like that? Were you a road racer? Say the five, I know you do a lot of 5Ks down there in East Cork. Uh, wasn't it the great Liam O'Brien? Wasn't that his club? Um, like, was was that where you started or were you always a marathon man? No, and I suppose like, like, like anyone else, you know, you probably wouldn't tend to start with marathons, you know. It was actually, as you mentioned, I don't know, Liam O'Brien got me into it when I was in secondary school and, you know, did did running cross-country in a traditional athletics for a couple of years and I suppose through injury and maybe sometimes through interest and this happens to a lot of people they might leave it in their 20s and come back to it later in life maybe in their early 30s so that's exactly what happened to me yeah. and came back to road running and then started upping it to, to marathon then yeah. Tim what does it take to run 26 miles 385 yards apart from from, from guts aplenty like like what do you eat? How do you prepare? How do you get your body into that kind of condition? Yeah, well, I suppose first PJ, when you're saying what does it take, uh, an understanding wife, because um, <laughs> you're, you're, you're gone early in the mornings or late in the evening, and then at the weekends, I suppose, you're heading out the door for a 20 mile or longer. So, you know, there's, there's that kind of understanding as well. But in terms of the preparation, when you're when you're running for the athletics club and you're doing running full time, you, you're training kind of eleven, twelve months of the year, and then when it comes to pick a marathon like Cork, you, you kind of start maybe three months out, and you'd have a high level plan that you'd increase the mileage. Um, you do your maybe ten or fifteen fairly long runs building up to it, and then you taper for the final two weeks. Yes. yes. In terms of eating, then PJ does. Look, some people just eat, I suppose, whatever they can they can get in yeah. terms of... No, I'm thinking uh, of the two lads in the rowboat, you know, plenty of steak and spuds, but I, I think it's probably uh, different on the road. <laughs> it, it is, it is. Look, I mean, you have to be a bit smart as well. Like, you can't just eat everything and anything. I suppose it's carbs, really, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, on, on a long run there, you could be burning 
uh, you know, to twice the amount of carbs that you you need to consume in a day. Like so, it really is just kind of being maybe a bit smarter when you're doing the days you're doing your long runs or the days you're doing your hard runs just to eat a bit more or that. You know, mm. we just I, I it. Is one terribly sore after doing this? Like, were you absolutely banjacked now on Sunday night? Um, I, well, I suppose going around the course, I felt reasonably okay yeah. all the way until um, you turned down to Carrigahan straight there. You were at mile 23. So you're a mile and a half and you're looking ahead at the county hall. And geez, at that stage in the marathon, it almost looks like it's getting further away from there. Yeah. Um, is there, is there a wall? I mean, we hear so much about the wall. Is there a wall, Tim? There, I think there is. Look, there is a wall. I think it all comes down to if you haven't fueled properly leading into it, if you haven't carbo-loaded, and then during the race as well, like I suppose most people are trying to take on energy gels or a leucotate or something that will give you a bit of glucose to sustain you for the, the duration of the marathon. Yeah. It, when you talk about the wall, it's, it's a case of not taking on enough fuel and then the body sort of shuts down maybe and it's usually in the final stages of the marathon yeah. and look we, we, we've even seen it in Cork over the years that you know someone could be leading the race and whether it was a, a pacing issue to start or just maybe a poor nutrition plan yeah. um, or hydration plan yeah yeah, John Tracy used to talk about that, the great John Tracy. Like, John always said there is a wall and he hits it every time. The thing about it is to, to wait for it to be ready for it to know when it's coming and, and to drive yourself through it. There's a whole science to it. it there, is, there is a whole, and look, you can get very, very into it, the technical side of it, but like, there, there's, a, I suppose, there's a wall where you actually can't get through it and you, you, you see some people actually stopping or even walking, but then to a lesser extent, there's, there's a point in the race, and for me, it was probably the Carrigan straight, where your legs start to go yeah. and Again, I think with the straight there, it's probably more a mental thing as well that even though there's only three miles left, there's <laughs> a long road straight in front of you. Yeah. You'd be thinking, um, and that long, straight road, you're thinking, God, long, straight, flat road. And yeah, I can't yeah. imagine how you do it. every. And it's energy stuff and energy gels. You just pack yourself up with it. Is that it? It is. Look, it, it's basically sugar. Do you know, so yeah. look, I was... Being a kind of a home marathon, I was lucky enough to have um, a, a couple of friends out on the bike. Kevin O'Brien and my brother and Nikki as well were out on the bikes. And, you know, like if you wanted to, you you could be eating every five minutes the amount of food you're offered or the, the energy gels. But it, it's kind of being smart and thinking, having a plan beforehand and saying, look, maybe every 30 or 40 minutes, I need to take an energy gel. And then that energy gel takes a while to kick in. So, you know, like there's no point in taking one at mile 26 because you'd be finished by the time it kicks in. So to just kind of thinking out that strategy of when you're going to take it, yeah, you know. It really is a very strategic thing. It's not just a matter of putting on the runners and, and heading off. Like to, to, to do, I mean, every runner that finished on Sunday is is worthy of a round of applause, whether it took them two hours and 20 minutes or whether it took them eight hours. But... Like, it's a massive physical effort for someone like you who would be considered one of the elite runners. We don't... Who, you mentioned an understanding wife. That That's important. But who else was around you? Who else got him ready for Sunday? Um, so, look, yeah, a lot of people. And um, look, just before, before that, you mentioned all the other runners who, who had different goals and trying to do their own times. But, like... I hung around there. I was back in at two or three o'clock in, in in the afternoon, and there was still people finishing. You know, 
and they're out there for five or six hours. And to me, that's tougher than trying to do the thing in, in, in just over two hours because it, it's double or triple the time. And, you know, you're out there in those conditions for that length of time. So it, it, it's different for everyone. But in terms of myself and the preparation, look, again, just, you know, the people that got me into athletics, the likes of Liam O'Brien, as you mentioned, um, and then since I moved up to the city, I'm living out in Ballinassie there, just 10 minutes out the road. I would be jumping into, say, Donny Walsh's training group there. With oh, Bell, know, yeah. Look, that's been a big help as well. Um, and then just, look, the physios and, uh, you know, because we're, we're training for a marathon and unfortunately enough, I'm fairly injury prone. And um, do you need to keep on top of that going into it as well, you know? Isn't good luck. Have you plans for for future? Are you going to go for Dublin or do you take a break now? How does it work? Um, I suppose it would be an enforced break. You know, even if you wanted to go out and run now properly over the next few days, you probably wouldn't. You'd be doing more of a shuffle. But yeah, uh, no. Look, take a break for a week or two, and then I probably will start building up to Dublin at the end of October. Right. And again, you kind of go into another training block there for three or four right. months. We'll be we'll be cheering you on, Tim. Congratulations on winning the Cork City Marathon, twenty twenty two. Tim was first, Pavel Koshek was second, and Alan Oshin was third. And in the ladies' race, we've got to mention them as well because it was Lizzie Lee who came in uh, again. Uh, Soraka Lugnan was second, and Aoife O'Leary third in the ladies' race. And there are many other divisions. Um, so if anybody's got a particular, you know what we'll do. Fergal, if there were lots of divisions in that race and uh, because we were very proud partners of it for the last couple of months, if anybody has the results of a particular division in the race that they'd like us to mention across the morning, we'll do this once and once only. 083 396 96 96. It was a, it was a fabulous event. I would never in all of my life, in all of my wildest imagination, be able to do something like run a marathon. So anyone like Tim has my admiration. Absolutely. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Oh the petrol lads. Yeah, yeah, I got that, Kev. The petrol over the weekend. Where was I on Friday? Was it yeah, Friday afternoon uh, I drove down to Little Island, um, down to the new Screwfix place there to collect some stuff and I stopped in the garage. Just as you go down there by the NCT, the, the Circle K I want got an ice cream. Honest, lads. Lads, the price of petrol, it's just going up and up and up. Kevin says this morning, 209.9. I think I'm going to cry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, and, and you know what? Have you noticed at all? They've stopped talking about it. They've just stopped talking about it uh, up in the big house, in, in Leinster House. They just don't seem to care anymore about it. They just sing, and and then Michal, remember last week he said, uh, oh, well, this is how it's going to be for a while. Sorry, not acceptable. This is to, So we just have to suck it up, like. 081, I'm not, I'm not 0818 96 96 96. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. The Big Drive Home, weekdays from four. On Cork's 96FM. It's been tormenting Cork for months now. The one second song is still going strong. But who's going to be the one to crack this? Your head is demented, Smith Lauren. No. Ah! You are joking me, Lauren. Oh, no. Oh, you're so sure. Oh. No. Oh, you're desperate. 
Does this song even exist here? If you think you know, give it a go. Join me weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. With Cash and Carry Kitchens, Tremor Road and Photo Retail Park. Talk to the kitchen experts about your free design consultation. See cashandcarrykitchens.ie. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, with all the joy and the excitement <laughs> of the marathon, and deservedly so, and a great achievement for anybody who took part in it. It's also worth uh, just stopping for a moment to think of the tragic story that dominated our news weekend across uh, Cork City and County. That was the tragic death of Gillian Daly. Gillian was uh, 44 years of age, a mum of two, lived in Douglas. She was from Mill Street and her hobby John from Kinsale. And uh, the circumstances of her death, well, we'll only know that in the fullness of time, but a tragic accident happened Kennedy Key and you just cannot can you comprehend what it must be like for family and loved ones and friends and particularly her two boys aged 12 and 10 to go through that um, Gillian's funeral is today and she was clearly very much loved by all who knew her and our thoughts with the family and the extended family and friends and colleagues alike 0818 96 96 96 now here we are just off the back of the June weekend and you know in your heart that come September in fact come late August people will be on the phone to me here at the opinion line uh, about places trying to get places for children in school trying to organise special needs assistance for children in school and they just won't be there and it'll be a case of the Sino said this and the NCSC said that and the school would give me the... It's just a mess and it comes up every year. Jennifer Horgan's written about this uh, in the Irish Examiner and of course Jen, you're also a teacher and a mom. But it is that, it's uh, like this is kind of like Groundhog Day, Jennifer, because every June we predict it and every August, September it happens and you've written a good analysis on why it happens. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, I... I mean, I I think that the reason I, I wanted to write about it as well, as you say, I'm a parent and a teacher and I see the sort of the, the miscommunication, I think, that sometimes happens. And to be fair, sometimes happens through the media um, that, you know, that, that schools have autonomy and it's schools who are deciding to deprive a child of an SNA. And I really wanted to bust that myth, yeah. um, particularly at primary level. It's just not the case. And what's happening is that schools are experiencing exactly the same kind of frustrations and the same levels of paperwork and, and bureaucracy. Um, but schools and families are being sort of pitted against each other. And I suppose my hope would be that if if we join together a little bit more, we might be able to put more pressure on the NCSE and on the government. Like it's not the school that decided no. that little Sean can't have an SNA or that Mary's got to share her SNA with three more kids. It isn't the school decided that. No. So what happened was like years ago, it would be that the supports would follow the child. Um, but it was felt that that was unfair on families who maybe couldn't afford private assessments. Um, but also, obviously, there were waiting lists. And so it was switched then to a kind of a profile. So a school is basically profiled in terms of gender, socioeconomic realities and um, the, the number of students um, and the 
the school has no, can't access that algorithm. So they've no way of querying, you know, the number of SNAs that the NCSE is coming up with. Mm. And what's happening on top of that is that every year um, the allocation is being frozen. So for the last three years, um, there, there's been no change. Now, for a developing school, that's, you know, absolutely hugely problematic because they're actually getting in more and more students yes. yet they have the same number of SNAs so Which they're is, seriously that's disadvantaged. A reduction. That's not a freeze, that's a reduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is actually, my article is only about mainstream primary schools. So in special schools, the allocation has gone down in many cases. Um, there was a very good article today in the examiner actually um, uh, interviewing primary principals and 84% of them are reporting an increase in special educational needs in the last four years. So when you couple that with the fact that the allocation has been frozen for the last three years, mm. you've got a perfect storm. Now, the NCSE you know, so, is, it is independent, as it were, of the Department of Education, but it's answerable directly to Minister Josepha Madigan, isn't it? Yes, yes. And so it's really concerning, like, was it last week or the week before she announced that they were going to set up emergency hubs for children with special educational needs? Ah. And that, considering she's the head of, you know, NCSE, I mean, the Epson Act of 2004 says that all children are entitled to an inclusive environment and they're, they're entitled to the same educational experiences as any child, you know, and that's there in black and white. I mean, it's yet to be put in practice, obviously, mm. and clearly there's no understanding from the head of the NCSE of what these children are entitled to. Mm. It's like, deeply frustrating, deeply wrong. She, she looked at it as if to say, well, you know, this is a solution. I'm creating places, I'm creating hubs for all the children who yeah. have special needs. But Someone put it on, on social media and I thought it was a very good comparison. Okay, supposing we said, Minister, we're only going to take the tr children of the travelling community and put them into those places. Yeah. Or suppose we said we're going to take the children Absolutely. of colour and put them into those places. You're taking a group that's yeah. already struggling and you're labelling yeah. its discrimination with these hubs. Yeah, yeah, and putting away from their communities, you know, away from their friends. It's just, it's appalling. And, and then, you know, she did backtrack and say, oh, it's only a suggestion, but it's just very worrying that that was even ever, you know, mm. put forward. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's also this idea of an emergency. We've known for years, principals experience this. As you said, PJ, at the start there, we know every year it happens and you, and you receive calls from numerous parents who are upset. This isn't an emergency. You know, this has been happening year on year and it, I'm just hoping it's coming to a head, you know, yeah, and, that, and, and that they're forced to, to respond in some way. Myself and my Queen Bee had these worries ourselves. Uh, and and he will be 24 in October, or 25, James, will be 25 in October. We had these worries 20 years ago. To call it an emergency now yeah. is actually an insult. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Good speaking to you, Jennifer. Thank you very much. That's Jennifer Horgan of the Irish Examiner. I want to bring in Sinead Lowe, who's principal of St. Stephen's School, um, which is a band one desh school. Now, Sinead, you're, you're, you're in Waterford, but I know that there will be other desh schools in Cork and indeed uh, other schools in the similar position that you're going to describe. Just outline for us, first of all, though, Sinead, for those of us who might need to be told, what does a band one desh school actually mean? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. 
Well, we're a Desh one, uh, Desh band one school in Waterford City. And it's based, I suppose, on our locality and the needs of the children and the socioeconomic background that they're coming from. So Desh one, band one would be the highest level of disadvantaged um, school. Um, so we're, we're slap bang in the inner city. We're very much a mixed bag. Um, it's a wonderful school. Um, but um, yes, we do have our, we do have huge needs um, across a range of, of areas. Mm. And in terms of special needs, additional needs, SNAs, etc., you said that you've, had, you've never known the higher need. No, we've never. I mean, our school is not the same as it was three years ago. Um, we've had visits from NEPS. We've had visits from our school public health nurse. And we've also had a visit from the NCSE, a behaviour advisor, and they all were alarmed at the level of need in our school. Um, the next next psychologist said in her 25 years of practising, she had never seen the level of need in a, in a mainstream school. NEPS being, so, just to explain for listeners, the National Educational and Psychological, Psychological Services. Psychological Services, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So they were coming in as, in an advisory capacity, they were assessing children. Um, and like they're, what they can do is very limited as well. They can assess, they can put forward them for assessment for ASD, um, but really it's very limited. Their, their, their wings have been clipped a little bit, I think, over the years, and they can't do as much for schools as they used to be able to do. Mm. Yeah, but here you have, and I'm quoting because you were in Jennifer's article, uh, your NEPS psychologist says they've never seen such a level mm-hmm. of need in 25 years uh, experience. Yeah. The public health nurse says the situation is unprecedented. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet... You're being told no, you can't get anything else. Yeah, I mean that was I was just um I was so obsessed to be honest. I was actually I was so obsessed when, when the allocation came in because we have five and a half SNAs, uh five point five SNAs for nearly four hundred children. Hang on, and how can you see this is again I know this is department speak, but what's half an SNA? A half SNA is a half school day. So, so someone needs special needs assistance from 9 to 11 or 9 to 12 but not from 2 to 4 that's what it, they're telling you yes well yeah yeah so you it's it's i mean it's 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 laughable it, it's laughable but then as you said you know you had these worries 20 years ago yeah. and they're huge worries for parents they are absolutely enormous. huge enormous worries for parents. enormous worries and, and you know jen and, and yourself they were talking about autonomy i think the problem is they have given autonomy to the principal so I am now faced with, I have 14 children in September who are, have, you know, significant additional needs. That's 14 children. And I have five and a half SNAs to support those 14 children. So previous to this situation, we had, you know, you would apply for, as Jen said, you'd apply for an SNA in the name of a child. And then, you know, whether it was granted or declined, and you could appeal it. Now it's for the school. So I now have to face the parent and say, I'm sorry, I have to go, I have to give the support where the need is greatest. And your John is not up there at the top, so I have to reduce his access to an SNA. So it's, it's damaging that relationship between the parent and the principal, which is a very important relationship when you have a child with additional needs. As I'm sure you'll agree with me, Sinead, SNAs change life's pathways. Yes, yes. A good SNA, and I've I've said this a hundred times, and I think people should wear it around on a T-shirt. A good SNA changes a life. But it's giving the children, all children, all children deserve that equal access to the curriculum, to be able to access it. Some children need that additional support. So 
why can't they get it? I mean, I just feel that the NCSE, the departments, they're making us fight. We shouldn't have to be, have to, we shouldn't, we have our, our days so, so busy. We shouldn't yeah. have to fight for this basic support for children. And yet, here we are. Summer yes, in, summer out, year in, year out. And I'm sure if I dragged out tapes from five years ago and my news work from ten years ago or more, we'd have the same conversation. Sinead, thank you. Sinead Lowe, Principal of St. Stephen's, is a band one desh school in Waterford City. Where, to remind you, before I go to my next contributor, uh, the public health nurse says they've never seen such a level of need. The psychologist from NEPS, the National Education and Psychological Service, they've never seen such a level of need. The teachers are close to breaking point. The CENO, which is the Special Educational Needs Officer, says they'll have a hard case trying to get one-to-one SNA for any child. They have 14 children sharing five and a half SNAs. Let me go local. Uh, Nikki Egan, Principal of North Press. Hi, Nikki. Hi, PJ. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, I, I'm good, Nikki. But you know what it is? I, I'm beginning to feel like that Groundhog Day movie. And I'm, how many more times must you and I and Sinead and Jennifer and others like us have this conversation before somebody actually does something about it? I know, PJ, and that's exactly... Um, when I saw the article on the Examiner last week, I had met Jennifer just the week before for the first time. And it was so spot on that I texted her immediately saying, oh, oh thanks be to God, somebody at last has, has gotten it just right. The fact that principals have to get down on bended knee yeah. and beg for, for help for the children in their school, it, it can be just soul-destroying. In the last three years, I've done four exceptional reviews, which is where you appeal for more. And it takes hours and hours, up to 10 hours of paperwork for the principal towards the end of the school year and into July. And then to have the rejection come in from somebody who's faceless and nameless a lot of the time. You know, that they've never met me. They've never spoken to me. They don't know the children that I'm speaking about. They don't know the school. It's not your own Sino who makes this decision. It's not the person you have the relationship with. And where special needs children and their families are concerned, the relationship and the relational aspect is, is the whole thing. That care and that love that you're supposed to give them. That's the main point of it. And it's so soul destroying then to have it turned into like an algorithm with no love and care behind the decisions. It's a, it, it can be it can be soul destroying for its principles. It can be very depressing. And as Sinead said it can ruin that relationship between you and the family, the most needy families yes. in your school. Because the, the natural thing is that, the, the, you know, it's, it's part of the human condition, Nikki, that we address our concerns at the person we meet. Absolutely. And, 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 unfor- that's, that's the, and the principal gets a dressing down that they don't deserve. Do you know? Yeah, and it's hard to explain to parents. You know, I mean, even, even this week now I have a parent of a new child who's coming into us in September, coming in with reports and with, and with everything that years ago would have meant that he would have had an SNA sitting next to him immediately. And she said, now he's going to get have an SNA of his own, isn't he? And then to start again and explain, I'm so sorry, he's not going to have an SNA of his own. We have 20 children in September who are going to need access to an SNA and we have three full-time SNAs. Ah, oh, Nikki. 
and three. one SNA for the infant day. Three and one SNA for an infant day. So we have four all together, one of them not a full-time day. And they run ragged, PJ. Like you said, they're absolute angels. The four ladies in our school, I couldn't say more about them. They have hearts bigger than themselves. And they, they run. The minute one child is calm and regulated and happy and able to learn, then they're running out of the room across the corridor to another room to check on another child. And it's just, it's very soul-destroying for the whole school, but it's very um, inaccessible for children. They can't learn that way. Apart from that, apart from the inaccessibility to the children, and you're so right, and moreover the fact that you might have Sean, we'll say, on the ground floor, and, 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 and Mary on the third floor, and the SNA running ragged between the two, and that's just two of the... Ch- You're going to have some of these young people, these wonderful young people, who will have burnout before they're 30. They will, and the wonderful people who want to do the job then won't apply for it, because they'll they'll hear. It'll come in a couple of years where we won't be able to get special needs assistance because they won't want to do a job that's impossible for them to do during a school day. And for them even to be waiting until the 31st of May to know whether or not they were going to have a job. I'm glad you got to that. That's still going on. That's still going on. That's so wrong. People used to be saying, ringing me here, 31st of May, 30th. I I don't know yet whether my son has either either a place or I don't know whether my daughter has an essay. That's wrong. That's totally wrong. I mean, it's very nerve-wracking for everybody, nerve-wracking for the school. And this year, it beggared belief, really, that we waited this long to then be told there's no change. If there's going to be no change, we could have heard about it in February and made our plans and done our exceptional reviews between the months of February and June. Whereas now principals are in the position of trying their very best now over the next two weeks to make the exceptional reviews which are an impossible task. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. Oh, I saw the file. <laughs> I, I, do, <laughs> I do remember a principal uh, whose name I won't mention, but he was a t- thorough gentleman and was so kind to my son. And I remember what he said. He said, he's not leaving here until I know where he's going if I have to put him in a room himself and, and, and staff it for him and mind him. He's not leaving here until he has a place to go. But he, he was putting in one of these applications. And I said, God almighty, paperwork? Yeah, yeah. Mind-boggling mind stuff. All right, Nikki, listen, thank you very much. Unfortunately, I sometimes feel like we're all wasting our breath here. Um, but we'll continue to do it because the day we stop is the day that the people who don't want you to have the services actually win. That's how I feel anyway, and I think that's how a lot of others do. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you, Sinead, and thanks to Jennifer Horgan. 0818 96 96 96. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Big, 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 radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Friends at Food Solutions are with us this week celebrating... 
15 years in Cork. Free your feet and the rest will follow. And every day, between now and Friday, I have a €150 gift card for Put Solutions uh, to give away. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some audio from an event that happened in the past 15 years. Actually, this one is very, very uh, pertinent given the shenanigans over the road in the UK last night with Bojo and and the boat of confidence or not confidence or who gives it to us, what kind of thing they have. Very relevant. So you'll hear a very, very, very familiar voice. But I want to tell you, I want you to tell me what is happening. What is actually happening? So it's 0818 96 96 96. You can tell me who he is, that'll get you nothing. I just want to know what is actually happening here. But having reflected on the need to ensure that the work of my ministerial colleagues is not distracted by, from, by incessant publicity about the tribunal, I've decided for my own volition to bring forward that date. All right, what is he doing? He was making an announcement. What was his announcement? But having reflected on the need to ensure that the work of my ministerial colleagues is not distracted by, from, by incessant publicity about the tribunal, I've decided for my own volition to bring forward that date. Right. If you know what he's doing, and um, who he is will give it to you probably, but uh, tell me, what is he doing? And uh, text it and your name to 0818 96 96 96. Give you a few more opportunities to hear that during the morning for that €150 Foot Solutions gift card. Now, all last week, when I could barely drag two words together here on the air, we were talking about the airport and what had happened in Dublin the previous weekend doesn't seem to have happened to the same extent this weekend, although, although I don't think it was too much of a, too much of a party up there either. A lot of people were asking questions about Cork Airport, the capacity of Cork Airport. Could we move certain flights out of Dublin into Cork? Why is it that all the business is going through Dublin and Cork is seems at least to be under capacity? Why is that the situation? And was it as simple as just moving stuff from Dublin to Cork? 0818969696. I'm joined from Cork Airport by Barry Holland, who is their communications manager. And I think when that question was asked, Barry, the, the point I tried to make in response was that it's a bit more logistically difficult than just telling the guy who's flying in from Malaga to go to Cork instead. I'm sure it is. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, yes, you're quite correct. Uh, airlines make decisions on where to operate routes from, to and from, base their aircraft, etc. They base them on a couple of things, uh, sufficient demand, uh, route viability, and yield. So it's a matter really for the airlines. Airlines are commercial uh, companies. They make commercial decisions at the end of the day. They will make decisions on where to put on routes, etc. on a commercial basis. Mm. Now, one would have to be blind not to see that even given the vast difference in size between the two airports. Cork is underutilised at present compared to Dublin. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, PJ. Um, Cork Cork Airport uh, experienced uh, its largest number of passengers in the year 2008. There was in excess of 3 million passengers that year. 
Going back to 2019, there were 2.6 million passengers used the airport. Between 2015 and 2019, the passenger numbers in Cork grew by 25% from 2 million up to 2.6 million. Mm. Only for the impact of the last two years, um, the impact of the pandemic on global aviation, the trajectory was looking very positive in Cork Airport. We had our transatlantic connectivity. Yeah. We ha- were edging towards 3 million um, passengers. We had 52 routes or 52 yeah. destinations yeah. on offer in 2019. But Barry, I would love step. to recall when the um, plans were laid out first for that beautiful terminal that's there now. And, and I remember people who wanted that built in the very early days saying Cork should and could be able to take 5 million. That's correct. Back in the year 2000, when the forecasts were made, there was a there was a prediction that Cork Airport would reach 5 million passengers by the year 2020. Now, bearing in mind, that was 20 years yeah, out. But that's what I mean, Barry, but by underutilised. Between, this what happened the, between, the terminal was built with that in mind. It is, and the capacity for this airport, PJ, remains at 5 million passengers. Uh, obviously, over that period, we had two, uh, I suppose, impactful uh, I suppose, uh, what you'd call, um, well, the, with the impact of the global financial crash uh, yeah. in the year 2008. No, no, which was that's fine. No, no, fi- but the point, I think we're, we're, the, the point I'm making, Barry, is that doesn't that, I, I, I challenge you to say that it is underutilised. It'll cross three million and that's great, but it was designed and, and built. And, and I'm thinking of great people like Barry Roach, the late great, you know, Joe O'Connor, great people like that back in the day who envisaged this terminal and John Smith, my old and dear friend, who envisaged this terminal as being able to take 5 million people. It was designed and built to do that. So it's, it's barely taking half it's capable of. Where there's sufficient demand, PJ, airlines will put on routes. We have a very active aviation business development and aviation marketing team here who are constantly engaged with both existing airlines and prospective airlines with a view to securing new services to Cork. When, and how or, when my promoted? colleagues, how hard is it promoted? Well, when my when my colleagues go to meet these airlines, for example, they have just returned from Roots Europe in Bergen in Norway, which is a major, uh, I suppose, what you'd call a meeting of airports and airlines. Yeah. And they get to sit down, so they sat down with a lot of airlines, uh, prospective airlines, existing airlines, both for European and transatlantic, uh, discussing both European and transatlantic connectivity. They have to produce the hard facts as well, PJ. They have to come and say, like, we, we've done research here. We've done, you know, we can envisage that there's such an X, Y, and Z demand for X, Y, and Z route. So airlines, at the same time, will have to see the hard facts and figures before they'll put on a service. So suffice to say that provided that well, there is well, sufficient well, demand... Now, Barry, what happened to the old... And again, I'm, I'm looking back in time, I guess, but I'm looking back at... Okay, look, you know what? Um... It'll, it might help you if we cut your landing fees drastically for the first year because there was a time back in the day, Barry, where the, an airline was practically free of landing fees or greatly reduced landing fees for the first six months to 12 months and then were able to run ridiculously low flights. I, mean, I remember going to Gatwick, Air, Gatwick Airport for a euro. Well, we have a very attractive recovery scheme in place at the moment, PJ. It's been running since July 2021. It's running until 20, March 23. And all airlines out of Cork are availing of a 30% discount on all charges. Now, that kind of a scheme has never been in place before. Thankfully, we were able to put it in place due to government funding. 
that's to attract and incentivize airlines to increase their seat capacity. When it comes to new services and new routes, new airlines, they're offered the first year, uh, no no charges, no fees or charges, mm. and then that increases incrementally. It's a very attractive scheme. It has been in place for over 10 years now, and, it's, and it has worked well. Yeah. It yeah. has worked well. Yeah. It, so the, the schemes are in place, PJ. What I'm trying to impress upon it here is that in order to in order to, for new routes to be put in place for new airlines to come in, there has to be sufficient demand. And is it not attractive to an airline that you have got this wonderful airport, um, two hundred kilometres south of Dublin? Dublin is just mad at the moment. I'm sure everyone would agree with that. Is it not attractive to an airline to operate out of a out of an airport two hundred miles two hundred odd kilometres south? Where it's very attractive. It's very attractive. Very attractive. And you can see in on the schedule this summer. Quicker in, some quicker out, no turn, faster turnarounds. I mean, airlines all about turnarounds, isn't it? That's right. And some of them more so in particular, for example, your low-cost carriers would put more emphasis on it. But we have some of the major European flag carriers coming in this year. We have Air France, we have Lufthansa, we have KLM. All of those are operating regular scheduled services to some of the major European hubs. Yes. So to get the likes of those flag carriers in, is a, in, is a great endorsement great for the Cork region. Great credit you to all there because the hub, the importance of the hubs can't be underestimated because you can get from Cork to any one of the corners of the world now using one of those hubs and that, and that is great. But you still have a situation Barry, where you have an airport that was built and the terminal that was designed and is able to take if it was pushed to five. So it is effectively still underutilised. At at five million passengers, PJ, that would be the fullest extent of what the air or the airport terminal building would be able to handle, yeah. uh, without any further extensions or um, works required at that stage. I made the comment to a reporter for the Irish Examiner during the week. It's a bit like, in the sense, uh, anecdotally, that it's a bit like a, the uh, speedometer in your car or putting the foot down. You don't necessarily put the foot down straight away yeah. and make sure that it runs at the top notch at 5 million. But what it, or in, in our case, 5 million. What I am saying here, PJ, is that there has been incremental growth okay. over the past 10 years or more. We had two major, I suppose, crises ah, yeah. that impacted our passenger growth. These are the forecasts that were made in 2000, PJ. These are 22 years ago. You had the financial crash in 2008 and you had the COVID-19 pandemic in yeah, 2020. Yeah. So yeah. Growth, is, growth, was, growth was excellent, PJ, in, in between those two periods. Yeah. As I referenced the period between 19 or 15 and 19, it was growing by 25%. So the growth is there. Ah, yeah. And I, 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 guess, I guess we'll, we, you know, we'd take it on, we take it that it will return and I appreciate you making that point back. Just lastly, someone's been on to say the flight that was due to go Cork-Zurich with Swissair this summer, has that been cancelled? No. Uh, Zurich operates Mondays and Fridays and it's operated by it's operated by Edelweiss Air, which is a subsidiary of Swiss. It's operating on Mondays and Fridays, has been doing so since the end of March, start of April. A very important service, yet another um, connection to one of the major European hubs okay, where passengers can connect to the wider part of the world as well. That's good. To, that's good. That's good because the person who, who contacted us seemed to think opposite, but that's great. Barry Holland, communications manager at Cork Airport. Thank you for being with us. It's not as easy as just getting all the flights to Cork, but Cork is built for an awful lot more than it's taking. That's a fact. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six. 96 and, and all the big, big promotions, all the big offers come through Dublin. Dublin offers the family silver. 
to get the flight in. Cork can't do that anymore. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。96FM。
carcinogens that's in you, that's that's in your house that you don't know about. You know, mm. like you, you know, it's it's in there and it can build up. And what we do is that radon is naturally occurring, and some parts of the country are more prone to radon than others. And we've published new maps uh, on radon.ie, which would identify some part uh, those parts of the country which are more prone to radon. And we've got a big problem in Cork. We have a, do, do we know why? Do we, is, it, is it soil types? Is it geological? Where does it come from? Yeah, uh, it's all that. Yeah, it, 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 it's the geology. It, it, it's linked to the geology. It, it, it comes from, the radon, uh, it comes from the radioactive decay of an element called uranium, which is naturally occurring and is present in all rocks and soils to various concentrations. Now, Depending on the geology, some parts of the country are more prone to it than others. And Cork, or some parts of Cork anyway, we have identified can have very high levels of radon in, in, in some houses. And particularly up, up the north of the county, we found loads, sorry, very, very high levels up around Mallow, Buttevant, up the north there, that, 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 that's that, that side. And equally, we, we recently, sorry, a number of years ago, we found a very high level in Carrigaline, mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 down the south of the city, like our towards the south of the city. Mm-hmm. So, like, the people, what we're trying to do, they're trying to alert people to this like you know people need to know about radon the same way as you look after other things in your house like the electrics or the boiler or something like that mm. people should just have a look at it, a test for radon as well because it's very easy very straightforward thing to do and it's a problem only if you ignore it and unfortunately it is easy to ignore because you, you've it has no color taste or smell mm. but high levels of radon is not something you want to be living with because it's linked to three, 350 lung cancer cases yeah. each year linked to radon so you need to get it looked at all right how you know? would i know if i had it in the house david yeah, the the only way to do it is by testing for it, and on our on our website uh, radon.ie, you, you, you'll find a, a a list of registered radon measurement services, and and there's one of them in Cork actually, you know, like and the other there in Kerry, but anyway, you, you pick one of them. Uh, and what happens is that two radon de- a, a, a radon detector for a house it comprises two radon detectors are sent out to your house. Now, PJ, these things are small, about the size of a biscuit. They're posted out to you, and you put one in the bedroom and you put one in the living room. And like, there's no need to plug them in. There's no batteries or nothing like that. You just leave it there like a paperweight or something like that. You might put it on the coffee table, put the other on the side in the bedside locker, and you leave it there for three months. They have to leave them there for three months because the rate at which radon gets into your house can vary from day to day with the weather. Some like some days might be nice, leave the windows and doors open. Other days you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. So like you need it for a good representative sampling period, like three months. Then you post it back, and then the service can tell you what the radon levels are. And the cost of that service is in around fifty euro right. thereabouts. Like it varies depending on who you who you pick. And if your levels are below two hundred units of radon then happy days, you're okay. There's no need for action. But if the levels are above 200, which we regularly find in Cork, unfortunately, then you probably need to do something about it, like, you know, in order to reduce mm. the levels. And what and, can you do? Well, yeah, no, fixing radon problems aren't that, isn't that hard either. Like, normally, uh, improving the ventilation in your house could do it. Let's say, for example, PJ said, like, you need to be um, below 200. If you're just moderately above 200, say you're up to 300, 350 thereabouts, improving the ventilation might do it. And sometimes say, people bring us, say they have problems with, with, with radon and it's not that high. And when we're chatting to them, we find out that they might have blocked up their vents or something like that because of the winter or whatever, like, you know. Mm. Or sometimes foliage can build up in your vents or people sometimes paint over them, really, and you shouldn't do that. Right. Um, you, your vents need to be open. So improving the ventilation can help there for that. Now, if you have very high levels, which we regularly find in Cork, unfortunately, uh, you need to put in this thing called a radon sump which is a, f- a funny name, but that's what it's called anyway, the radon sump. And what it, all it is, is it's a small cavity that's put under your house 
and a pipe is put into that cavity and the pipe is run up the side of the house like an extra drain pipe. And what that does is that why radon is getting into your house, PJ, is because your house is warmer inside than it is outside. Right. And that heat difference draws up a, a pressure difference. So, like, if you can sit, picture sometimes on a sunny day, if you see dust flying around your house or something, you can in my house anyway, but you see if you yeah. see dust flying around, that distribution of dust around the house, that sort of, the way dust moves around, radon can get in that way. Like, the same forces that's that causing the dust to rise will cause the radon to rise as well. So, what this sump does, it interrupts that pressure flow so that uh, radon that would otherwise get into your house is drawn out into this sump and up the side of the house uh, and vented out, like, um, uh, outside. Sounds like um, a very pricey procedure, David. Well, I well, it, 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 to get a guy out to do that, and th- th- this is done usually from the outside. There's no need to go into a house, and it's done within a couple of hours. Um, but you might have change over about a thousand euro thereabouts, which is a fair whack of money now. It is. I, I'm not trying to dispute that, but uh, you know, if you have high levels of radon and this is a cancer-causing gas, you, you don't want to be living with that, like you know. So you you would need to budget for it to try and get the the, the radon levels down. Um, mm. But like it, but it, it like there could be a quick fix though. Like from a lot of houses, it's moderately high, and therefore ventilation might do it. Like yeah. just in, just improving the ventilation yeah. in your house, you know. Like fans, for example, they use electric fans in America, uh, particularly in the summertime when things are hot. Um, yeah. Can can they like for example this time of the year? pretty much every window in my house is open. So I don't think I need to bother too much about radon. But can you have a problem there where, where, like, I live in an estate, so my side of the estate Mm. could have a problem. The other side wouldn't have a problem. Is it that localised? I can, yeah. No, that's the annoying thing with radon from our point of view. You can sort of make a prediction, generally speaking, based upon the maps. that that People need to look at them, radon.ie. But... You, the only way of you of knowing with confidence what the radon level is in your house would be by carrying out a test, because let's say even if you say if like a, you, you have your windows open and I'm next door to you, maybe I don't have my windows open, like you know, or maybe your your the construction in your house is slightly different, like maybe you got an extension done I didn't, you know, yeah, like there's a whole load of variables that that, that are there because of say people's behaviour in the house. That yeah. could give rise to high levels of radon or not, you know. Because, like, if my neighbour so, did a test with the fifty quid, the two things look like a biscuit, and that came back all clear. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm all clear, correct? That's right. That's right. That's right, Peter. That's right. The only way of knowing is by carrying out a test based upon your own circumstances and your and the way you live your life in your own house. Yeah. So if you leave your windows open, fair enough. If you don't, then that's fair enough, of course, as well. But you just need to carry out a test. But 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 but, but don't like say you leave your windows open and especially in the daily distance might might be nice. That's okay while the window is open. Uh, but sooner or later you have to close the window um, uh, based upon your own comfort or safety. And as, if you like say. If you go home this evening, you left your gas cooker on, let's say, like, you know, yeah. like open the window, let the gas out, but you still have to turn off the gas, you know, yeah, like, you, you know, you so it, it's the same point. thing, like, you know, yeah, a yeah. similar thing, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, um, people will worry when they hear a conversation like this. They think, oh God, people get cancer from this invisible gas in my house and I have to test for it and people get very panicky. Now, there is a map, a good interactive map where you could put in your air code, David. Yeah, yeah, no, the, the map will allow you to go down to a street level, really, like, you know, it has a resolution of 50 metres, so it's, um, you put in your air code, we're encouraging people, 
uh, go on to radon.ie, put in your air code, find out where you are in relation to the map, and then, you know, you, you try in relation to the high radon areas. And, and then that'll give you an indication of where you stand in relation to this thing. Now, we're ordering everybody to test for radon, uh, but particularly those who are in the high areas, you really should. And in fact, PJ, it's important to say, for employers, it's it's a requirement in the high radon areas to test for radon uh, in order to protect workers and comply with the health and safety legislation. Because in high radon areas, the risk is sufficient to warrant the test being carried out. Uh, so as part of the, the general risk assessment, if you like, that's done in workplaces. So we, we'd urge people to do that too. Mm. But I'm uh, sorry, urge, urge employers to do that. But like, like I suppose what you're saying, we're not, we're not trying to scare people. You know, we're, we're not trying to alarm people. I should say, I suppose, like probably the rest. But we, I'm definitely trying to alert people. Like mm. you know, and there's a fine line between alarm and alert. But people need to take note of this thing, and and they need to sort of pay heed to it and as I said at the beginning the properties of this thing is like you can easily ignore it but it's the problem only if you ignore it so go onto our website find out where you are and, and carry and get out a test well, uh, well, when, you, you and, mentioned and you mentioned natural gas and leaving the gas on we've been told now for years that that smell is added to natural gas for that particular reason so we know that it's there so if you can imagine another gas within your house you can't see it smell it tastes you've no idea where it is but it could well be there these little detectors pick it up just on the question of ventilation like is an open window if you have low levels, is an open window sufficient to, to solve the problem? Yeah, and it, it would in many cases while the window was open, you know. But I mean, and most, but most days in Ireland, or for maybe a lot of days in Ireland, you can't open the window. Yes, you know true. what I mean? Be too cold, be too too breezy, or something like that, or too cold, or foggy, or whatever. So, like, it, 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 it but for moderately high levels of radon, it, it will let it will it will let it out. I mean, anything that introduces fresh air into a house. Would dilute the concentration sure. of, of the of the gas present. Now that works particularly for downstairs windows. Now I, I don't want to get too technical, but if you open an upstairs window, you can actually draw the radon up through the house or draw an air up through the house. You know, because in the same way as say air going across the chimney, you can draw air up. An upstairs window can do that too. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. but 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 I, I I I wouldn't like to give the impression to listeners now that you, by opening a window you can fix this. Sure, sure. It's, 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 you can't really like you know okay. you couldn't fix it any sort best, of permanent Best to basis, go check you know. it all out. Radon radon.ie is the website. Nice and easy. Uh, David Fenton, uh, senior scientist with the Environmental Protection Agency. Thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line. Uh, thanks, David. Radon, it's out there. Uh, we have a problem with it in Cork. You can get that map. Look at your air code. If you feel like sending away for a testing kit, send away for a testing kit. Don't be scared, just be aware. Um, thanks very much for that, David. 0818 96 96 96, just on petrol. Uh, they're losing the run of themselves in Ladies Bridge. 211. What the hell? 211 for petrol. And over half a million for the houses now. It's madness. And Ladies Bridge is still a small little place. Middleton is still the local town. Yeah, we're trying to find out about that Alicante flight and we're, we're sent an inquiry uh, someone seems to think that the Alicante flight is not going from Cork with our lingus this year Noel was on, ah, here we go Noel was on, he said, nope, it isn't going from Cork, there's a limited service only from Dublin Wow, that's that. now that's a big change because the Cork Alicante flight that was like a commuter route at one point I remember going there myself. I went to that part of the world in 2019 and there was two or three flights a day at one point. 0818 96 96 96.
Louise was on um, from the Mercy Foundation. I got a lovely email this morning from Katie O'Donovan. This is brilliant. Ah, this is br- This will make your Tuesday, lads. I got a lovely email this morning from Katie O'Donovan, who hosts the Radiothon Coffee Mornings in Mogili. They raised €4,685 for Radiothon from their event. Wow! What a fantastic effort. The money's still coming in. And actually, uh, Holland's Pharmacy in Ballinlock. Um, hello to Anne-Marie there and all the gang. Uh, got your donation and it'll go to the right people. It'll be going into the Mercy Hospital Foundation office as soon as I get an opportunity to, to drop it in, which I didn't at the weekend because I was a small bit under the weather, as you know. So we'll drop that in at some point soon. 0818 96 96 96. Festivals are on. Marquee is in full swing. Uh, Musgrave Park is coming. Parky Cueve is coming. Loads of music. So what we've done is we've brought back Cork's 96 of M's exclusive online station, the Back Garden Festival. The biggest hits from all the headline acts of the summer. Uh, brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound. It's on at the moment. Listen on the app or go to 96fm.ie. When we had no festivals for two summers, it was all we had. And it was so popular. So we decided to bring it back again. 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Now, anyone preparing for a secondary school in the autumn would be interested in a special webinar taking place this evening at quarter past seven. It's for parents of sixth class students who want to support their children a bit more with the big move. Uh, Emmett Major is coordinator of Planet Youth and it's Planet Youth Ireland who are doing this webinar. Emmett, good morning to you. Hi PJ, thanks for having us on. Delighted to do so. It's a change, it's a time of change, not just for the student, but for uh, the whole family really. So what's the purpose of the webinar this evening? It's You kind of teed it up very well there really. We, we put this webinar on and have done for the last two years now. And the idea really is just to try and help parents and their children a little bit more with the move to the big school come late August, September, right? Uh, the reason we started doing this was back, if you think back to the, you know, the middle and the first kind of lockdown, uh, which happened in March of 2020, uh, all of the children were out of school from, I think it was around March 17th, right through over the summer and so the sixth class kids particularly had it difficult now they were, everybody had it difficult but those kids if you think about it didn't get their usual um, graduation and school trips and end of school they just kind of landed into secondary you know it was it was that was kind of hard for them and then they were wearing masks as well so that made it a bit harder again yeah. but um what we did as part of that because we knew we can kind of see this was coming um we built the a website called stepup.ie uh, which is still there and still active and still very much used, right? And it covers uh, for the students pretty much everything they'd need to know about life in secondary, from lockers to timetables to, you know, who's who and what's where and all of that. So all the, you know, all of the answers they realistically would be looking for are there. And there's about eight different topic areas in total, right? And there's one specifically in there then for parents and what yeah. parents can do and so on. So, um we, we put that website, I think it was live in May, late May, and it had about 35 of the 70,000 
it's so 35,000 out of 70,000 children that would start into secondary use that website that summer. So right. it had huge amount of use, right? Um, but one thing that we did at the time it went live and we've done in 2021, and now this is the one again, is is this webinar for the parents of those kids. So to give them um, a bit of info before the start of the summer, to try and help them help the kids, basically, and mm-hmm. show them what the website looks like. Uh, so we do a little bit of that. We just kind of introduce them to the website to show them, you know, how it works and where they look for what, that kind of thing. But really, very much, it's kind of a Q&A. So what we have is we have three speakers for, for tonight's one. So we have Neva Flanagan, and Neve's a school chaplain. She's based on guidance. She works in that area as well. But she's based in one of the schools in Glenamaddy. Mm. And uh, she answers all, really, things that parents would like to know about life and school and um, pastoral care and if there's an incident, if there's bullying or what, you know, what what can kids look out for and expect when they move? Yeah. So she's very much bringing the, this perspective of the school. We then have Helen Butler from Youth Work Ireland and she'll be talking about uh, really good tips and things for parents to know about helping their kids with organisation and, you know, lots of little kind of simple techniques and tools and tips for parents. And then finally, we'll have Gina, Gina Dowd and Gina's an adolescent psychotherapist. So she deals with uh, teenagers and, you know, sort of tweenagers, I suppose, the preteens. Yes. Um, and she she would be there to answer questions that are more you know specific kind of things. Maybe it could be a child is very anxious or mm. there's learning difficulties or learning support. So we cover a lot of ground, and it takes about we'll give it about an hour. We take questions and chat from the audience, um, and then we'll probably put it up on the website then in the next mm. couple of days if people want to look back at the recording. But if people did want to come, mm. um, it's on. If you go to the stepup.ie website and look down through the page, you'll see there is a post you can register to attend tonight if you want to come tonight right is it is it on zoom or online or on a link or what is it uh, it's it's online it'll be on a platform called webinar jam so people when they register they'll get a link and they just click on the link and it'll come through their browser tonight so they'll be you know whether it's chrome or edge or firefox or something they'll, they'll be able to attend on their browser but the platform is called webinar jam but it's very similar to something like zoom or okay. facebook and live the, the website to go to stepup.ie Yes, that's right, yes. Right. Emmett, yes. Leave, it, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Emmett Major. He's the Planet Youth Coordinator. Stepup.e, the website, lots of stuff on it. But for that webinar tonight for the parents, that's where you go and you'll get your link and you'll be able to watch it online and they'll record it so that if you can't do it tonight, you can catch up with it in the next couple of days. 0818 96 96 96. Last year, um, I spoke with Rebecca Saunders. Um, Rebecca is the mother of a little girl called Clarissa. And Clarissa was only three when she was murdered by her father at Audley Cove near Ballydehob in West Cork in March of 2013. And it was a horrific tragedy. I remember covering it at the time. Martin and Clarissa were buried together in the one coffin. But as time went on, the truth of what had happened on that terrible night, well, when it emerged, it was even more awful than what we thought had happened. Martin McCarthy had been planning his daughter's murder and planning to take his own life because his wife, Rebecca, had asked him for a divorce. And that's as it sat for a while. A number of years ago then, Um, I was talking to someone who now emerges to be a mutual friend of both myself and Rebecca Saunders. We were met casually and she said to me, someday, she said, the story will emerge. And it did. 
Now, last year, there was a major podcast feature and a sizable article published in The Examiner, um, written and compiled by Liz Dunphy. And that was called Clarissa, A Life Stolen, which featured an extensive interview with Rebecca telling the story. And then Rebecca spoke to me on the opinion line at the time from her home in Texas and uh, about that. And we've stayed in contact uh, over the last 12 or more months. Um, and early last Friday morning, June 3rd, Rebecca uh, was here in Cork and she watched as the coffin in which her little girl had been buried with her father. She watched as that coffin was exhumed from the grave in West Cork. Now, Martin McCarthy has been reinterred. But next week, Clarissa will go home to Texas with her mum. And it's the end of a very, very long and arduous road and a happy end to that long and arduous road. And as she prepares to make that journey home with her daughter, I've been speaking once again to Rebecca Saunders. Rebecca, when we spoke last, it would be March of 21, you told me you were determined to take Clarissa home to Texas with you. You also knew, though, it would be a really, really difficult process. How do you feel now that you'll actually be able to do it next week? I, um, I mean, it's almost overwhelmingly emotional, but at the same time, it's just, it's a dream come true after nine years of thinking that I could never could never really be reunited with her remains to finally have that dream come true and and have worked so hard and gotten the help of so many people to make that a reality it's just it's a big sense of peace to finally be able to you know really really tomorrow um to have her near with me and have her remains close to me and just not feel like I abandoned her and um, moved to another country without her. When we talked before, you said that almost from the moment she was buried and you allowed her to be buried with Martin, you did so because you were overwhelmed with shock. You'd regretted it straight away, but you felt, I think, for a long time that there was nothing you could do about it. Isn't that right? I really didn't think so because I just didn't think that exhumations were done in Ireland and the the advice that I was given, they didn't make it at all seem like it was possible. And I think the reason why is just they thought that there would be roadblocks from the authorities and roadblocks from people objecting to me exhuming Clarissa. And they they didn't want to give me any kind of false sense of hope, I think. Talk me through the process. It was quite difficult to achieve. So... Um, well, first of all, I I, um, I, kinda, I was reached out to after the podcast that the Irish Examiner put on and yeah. the long newspaper article by a woman in Dublin who was trying to exhume a stillborn baby of hers. And um, she reached out to me and I, well, she reached out to the journalist who wrote the story, Liz Dunphy, and Liz then put her on with me and she told me that it actually was not as complicated as she thought. And so she walked me through her process and 
and then um, pretty much after the article, I just had so many people telling me that it's not as impossible as I thought it was to exhume. And so then I contacted Cork County Council and I asked, I asked, uh, tried to find the person to ask for the application form. Um, and then I was contacted by the Claire Burns show. And after the big overwhelming support that I got from everyone who watched that show and listened to your interview, PJ and, and Liz's podcast, I mean, I just, the, how, how kind the support was and how quickly it came in. It just, it kind of gave me the courage to push through. So I filled out the application form and, um, the council had other forms that there were requiring me to fill out. And really it was, um, I'm not going to take you through all the, the jigs and reels of the detailed process, sure. but, um, I, I will not give anybody any false assumptions that it was a straight road. It was not and the council. Honestly, the council did not make it easy. Mm. Court County council did not make it easy at all. The, complications of exhuming Clarissa and then separating her yeah. from the person that she was buried with, certainly through a difficulty in that process. Yes. So I know that the council had never had a request like this before. And so they, they did not make it easy. I finally got in contact with senior management on the council and a gentleman, Tom Lombard, I think out of Kinsale. Tim Lombard. Yeah. He, he was extremely helpful in, uh, in finally helping me out in the end. Um, but really where the, um, where everything came into place is finally when the council told me that I would require a pathologist mm. because we were kind of going back and forth with the undertaker that I used. And, um, and then the county council thought that I needed a pathologist. And so I reached out to, um, the coroner for Cork Southwest, and he put me in touch with actually a forensic anthropologist by the name of Dr. Renee Gappert, who's, um, who is in Bray. Mm. He is an extremely helpful man, and I, I honestly, he kind of brought everything together in his expertise. So once I had him on board with my team and um, a report that he laid out for the council, that's when finally after... Uh, after about a year, the council gave me the license. So he was the man, Dr. Rene, he was the man who performed the very intricate separation, yeah? He did. He did. And he, um, you know, he he's extremely professional and he's dealt with uh, legacy cases and cases during the Troubles. And um, just his expertise is, is really what made the... I guess, more difficult task of separation happen. Now, the exhumation took place just before sunrise. Um, you were there to, to see it happen. And I know that's that's deeply personal, Rebecca, but that just being there in that moment saying, how was that like? It was extremely nerve-wracking again. Um, you know, we, excuse me, started at about four o'clock in the morning just... Uh, at the graveyard in Skull and they were setting up the fences and putting up the tarp and um, 
an extremely professional and uh, dedicated group of, of people that were working to uh, to help me bring my, my little girl home. Mm. And just the sun was rising, and, and I think as soon as they got to the level that the coffin was, the sun came out, and it was just really a beautiful day, but it certainly was nerve-wracking. And, um, you know, being in that graveyard again, it certainly wasn't easy because you're not really sure how successful everything is going to be. And just Hmm. after nine years, you're really. Had had you somebody with you to take care of you or you on your own? No, no, no. I wasn't on my own at all. I had wonderful friends there with me. And um, uh, we had Garda presence, which was wonderful because they, they were on overtime at that stage, but they kindly uh, had been there for us just in case, um, in case anything went wrong, but thankfully nothing did. And, and it took from about four o'clock and, uh, they, uh, the original coffin was put into a shell coffin and that was loaded onto a, a van at about 10 to eight in the morning. So, I mean, it, it really didn't take that much time, but it still kind of felt like time was standing still again. And it felt like, like you were waiting, you were waiting for eternity just to, to have her come back up. You're probably standing there in the morning sunshine going, is this really happening? Oh, we, we asked ourselves that quite a few times, you know, was everything finally happening after the 14 months that we had actively worked trying to bring her home? And I'm never mind the time before that, that I thought that this could never happen, but I've you know, I've been, not only have I been helped out by the public and the Irish people and people from Cork and people from all over the country who has no, have known me, might not have known me, might not have known Clarissa, but have been touched by my story. And just, I've had many, many guardian angels, PJ, hmm. that I would not have been able to bring Clarissa home. I wouldn't have been able to go on this journey if it weren't for them. And I can't tell you what that means to me. You've arranged a little cremation ceremony for Clarissa and very touching. You're going to erect a little plaque down at, at Audley Cove because even though it's that, where she died, yeah. she loved it. She, well, she did. That was her home. That was that was where we went almost every nice day that we could. And she just, she loved, um, she loved picking up the little rocks and throwing them in the water. And I don't, I don't, I know that she won't be forgotten here, but I don't want there to be nothing that people can, you know, I want there to be something that people can come to and remember her. And I want just a little memorial to her. And I really can't think of a better place to put it. And I know, you know, for me, for, for a lot of people, Orly Cove is going to be very hard hmm. to have a memento for her. But I do think that that's where she would want it. So hopefully that's going to, hopefully that's going to be ready by before I have to leave on Saturday. Were you surprised, Rebecca? I know we've talked about this, that people have come out to help you all the way. Were you surprised by how willing people were to help? Well, I think in the early days, when when you're overtaken by grief after just traumatic events happening to you, you tend to withdraw into yourself and feel very alone. And I think it's, 
it's hard to put yourself out there and ask for help and ask for support. But then once I did, and once, once kind of, I started speaking out again and, and uh, Liz reached out and we, we put together the podcast and she wrote the article, you know, I, I just, I kind of felt like I was seen again, like I was heard again and that really nobody had forgotten about Clarissa. Nobody had forgotten about me. And, and, um, it was just a matter of, of speaking out. So that feeling of loneliness, it broke very quickly, but you had to have the initial, uh, you had to have the initial crack, I guess, first. And that was, uh, that was the initial, um, article and podcast that Liz did. And then after speaking on your show the first time and, and the Claire Burns show, I mean, after that, you know, this kind of just took off. Hmm. Yeah. So Texas is home now for you and home for Clarissa. Do you think you'll, you'll visit Cork again soon? I don't think soon, but I think that when my two girls grow up, if they want to see where their sister was born and where their sister lived her life, I I would bring them back. But I don't, I don't think that I could visit here hmm. again after, at least not soon. How old are you they know, now? I do have my uh, my middle child is has just turned three, and then the baby will turn two next month. Okay, so it'll be quite some time, and you it know, will it, be. it's very hard to blame you. It's very hard to blame you. But I know that I have so many doors open to me here. You have made many friends in this county. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I, I recall Rebecca attending the funeral. I was a journalist, and I was assigned to attend the funeral. And I remember standing, looking up the church at your bereft face and just wondering what you were going through. And I personally am so thrilled for you that you have brought it to this point now that you could take your little girl home with you. Thank you. Is there anybody in particular that you wanted to, to mention that has been helpful to you? I mean, there's there's certainly a number more people, and I really don't know if um, if they want their names mentioned. But um, I just I have a a very wonderful group of friends, um, and just every single person who's who've not only contributed financially, but just giving me their thoughts and their hopes and their prayers. And you know, I I can't I can't thank everyone enough. I really can't from the bottom of my heart from from just people who've given me emails and um, donations and just, just retweeted and really helped me. But I, I, um, I really don't want to mention names because okay. I know that anonymity is extremely important to some people and I don't want to step on any toes, but I do as, as I'm, as I'm trying to, um, meet up with everybody while I'm here. I do want to invite people to a celebration that we're having um, in Cork City this Friday, the 10th. Um, 
I really, I don't want to have a second funeral. And I know that a lot of people would like to pay their respects to Clarissa, um, you know, and just, and just join in this happy moment. And I want, I want it to be a celebration. And so um, a wonderful friend of mine has helped me arrange um, an evening at Bodega's Bar in Cork City at 6 p.m. this Friday the 10th. And so I'm just, I'm just inviting anybody who wants to be there to come. And it would be wonderful to meet you and thank whoever you are in person just for the, for the love that I've been shown, the love that Clarissa has been shown and helping me this far. Um, and I'm also hoping that you're going to be there, PJ. Well, we've never met up to now, but I look exactly. forward to meeting you on Friday. And thank you for that. I don't know how I can ever repay anybody who's helped me because I, I, I finally have my little girl close to me and I, it's just, it's such a feeling of peace that I never thought that I would get. And people speak about closure and I think this is about as close as I'm, I'm going to get and that's okay. It, it sure is. Rebecca, thank you for speaking with me. I'm so pleased for you. Thank you, PJ, and thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96 FM. Here's an unusual one. Uh, by the way, thank you so much to Rebecca uh, for speaking with me over the weekend. Um, 0818 96 I don't know if anyone can help with this. I don't even know if they're still giving this vaccine out. Uh, John wants to know, is there any chemist doing the Janssen COVID vaccine, i.e. the Johnson & Johnson, the the one shot? Is there any chemist doing the Janssen COVID vaccine? If my brother doesn't get it today, he'll have to cancel his holiday to America uh, due to leave on the 20th. Is anybody doing a Janssen vaccine, a Johnson & Johnson vaccine at any pharmacy? today that we know of that would give us a call and let us know we might be able to help John's brother out he needs it like today if not sooner we'll see 0818 96 96 96 on um, yeah there's a lot of love out there for Rebecca Saunders Mary Jane says Rebecca's brave and dignified and I truly hope she finds the peace she deserves in bringing Clarissa home with her and so say all of us and uh, once again, my particular thanks uh, to Michelle for assisting in uh, the uh, chats between myself and Rebecca, just making sure we could set it up uh, conveniently over the weekend. Thanks, Shell. Hear all the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars non-stop. Quartz 96 FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96fm.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Quartz 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, a couple of um, public transport issues arising, as it were. One in particular we've sent... uh, an email 
requesting a response from Irish Rail. We don't have it just yet, but I'll get to the query in a little while. And also, you might have heard there was more trouble again on the buses over the weekend. The Glenthorne to Merchants Quay route, Route 207A. Uh, they had a nasty incident of antisocial behaviour at the weekend and immediately the service was pulled from the Glen. This was on, was it Friday? Um, and Bus Aaron came through with a statement to say it doesn't tolerate any active aggressive or abusive behaviour towards staff, customers or property. We continue to invest significantly to deliver our commitment to provide a safe and secure environment for all our employees and customers who use our services. We encourage customers to report any incidents to Gadi, to the driver, or to our customer care line. Yeah, and they say customer research shows 93% of bus air and customers feel safe and secure during their journeys. Nobody was injured in that particular incident. Gadi are investigating. Bus Aaron will do an internal investigation and then they tell us 93% of people felt safe and secure during their journeys as if we should be happy about that 100% of people should feel safe and secure during their journeys but we've had another incident now where a bus has had to be taken off route because of a stone throwing or aggressive abusive behavior it's just not it's not good enough and I, I'm gonna and thank you to bus Aaron for the statement to which they provided us but it's pretty much the same as every other flipping statement they've ever given out. And this is the third or fourth time we have to do this in the last few weeks. You know, here's the statement. Now, nothing to see here. And once again, we, we, we did ask them a couple of weeks ago, could they put someone on the end of a telephone for us to talk about the problems of antisocial behaviour and what they're doing about it and onboard security and all those things. And that request remains remains in place and remains live. We haven't uh, had a response to that element of it yet other than another another statement. 0818 96 96 96. The one to do it, <clears throat> Aaron, I will read in just a wee moment. But I want to speak to and congratulate Noella Carroll uh, from Pinaclo, which is a... A Cork business, and indeed, Noella, you won the Emerging Business category at the Network uh, Awards recently. And uh, delighted to have you on the programme. Good morning and congratulations. Many thanks, PJ. I'm delighted to be on the, live in the air with you this morning. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted. Now, talk to, I will talk about the business and the very significant anniversary which, on which you got the award, but we'll talk about that. Tell me what Pinnaclo is first. Uh, Pinnaclo is a financial mentoring company that empowers CEOs and owner-managers to make decisions based on strong financial and robust data. We create executive dashboards for our clients to see where they are financially uh, day-to-day and be able to make the decisions with that, um, I suppose, without that fear that they're making decisions in a vacuum. They have the data in front of them. So it's your budget, your budget at your fingertips, as it were. As it were, yes. And yeah. your KPIs, your key performance indicators. Right, right. Now, your background is is as an accountant, um, and that's where you led into this work, isn't it? That's right. I'm a management accountant, uh, CIMA, Certified Institute of Management Accounting. Um, I qualified as a management accountant many years ago, too many years ago to uh, mention, but mm-hmm. I have a... a, a history of uh, career in multinational family business, um, SME, and opened my own business two years ago. 
Now, the award was presented to you on a very significant date, and indeed a, a reminder of a very sad date in your life, your, your dad's anniversary. That's right, yeah. Um, my dad, I, I won't give away my age, but my dad died uh, 43 years ago, and I won the award on the eve of his anniversary. Um, an anniversary that we visit um, his grave in Mill Street every year. He's, he was from Mill Street, North Cork. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it was a very poignant moment for me because um, he uh, he's always close to my heart and yeah. I knew that he would be very proud of me and what I had achieved. And you were only a, a little girl at the time and your mom raised you while running her own business. Was that where the inspiration came from? I think it is, PJ. Yeah, I think it is. Um, my mum, I suppose, would have taken many risks along the way. She had to. She had four of us, aged from 12 to 6, so she had no choice but take dif- different risks along the way to keep the bread and butter on the table for us. And she did. She opened her own business as well um, later on in life, maybe about 10 years after my father died. Um, to bring us through school and to bring us through college. And, um, yeah, she is definitely my inspiration, and she still is. Yeah, what did you... Like, growing up watching your mum struggle like that and run a business and raise your, you and your siblings, um, what did you learn about life? What did you learn about business, uh, if you like, watching her? Yeah, um, I learned that you need to believe in what you're doing um, and you need to have the faith in yourself to do it uh, that you 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 have to take risks um, but you have to take calculated risks you have to know what you're doing um, and do your best to navigate the challenges that will come because they do come and by God they came for her for sure um, she had many challenges mm. um, but she got through them and she believed in herself and she kept going and kept going and kept going. She had four kids, so she had no choice. <laughs> do you sometimes have to, I'm, I'm sure she did, do you sometimes have to just grit your teeth, close your eyes and say, I believe in what I'm doing, let's go for this? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I kind of did that myself two years ago because um, I I suppose I am the... Because yeah, you'd worked around the world, you'd worked all over the world. And this, thought- this Was this your first your first move into your own business, was it? It was, yeah, yeah. I had been working with different multinationals over the years and went out on my own, um, a little unsure about the direction, a little unsure about who my clients were going to be. Um, but I figured it all out, believed in myself. I had an incredible support network with my husband, David, and my daughters, Aoife, Danielle, and Adrienne, my family, my mom, my brothers, sisters. And um, a special call out to my mentor, Jackie Gorn, um, who has been there on my dark days to uh, to keep me driving on. Mm. Yeah, because I guess you, everyone reaches, everybody in business reaches a point now and again saying, oh God, this has not been a good week or this has not been a good day. What do I do now? And you need someone to go, hold on, breathe. You do, you do. But you need someone to give you, I suppose, to not not allow you to go down to give you the incentive to keep going yes. to tell, to point out the positive to, yes. to tell you what you've achieved so far and what more you can do yes. um, and, not to, to, and to remind you isn't it, to remind you that you yourself within yourself have all the skills yes. to cover to deal with this 
You yeah. just need to gather yeah. them together now and use them. Now, that's very important to have anybody like that. As a woman entering business off your own bat, what what was your observations in, in terms of the differences? Did you feel as a, as a woman you were disadvantaged in setting up a business? Because I know some women do. Uh, no, um, I didn't. I suppose I've always operated in um, an equal environment um, in my multinational world. Yeah, I did have to work harder as a woman. Right, I did. Um, because it was mainly male-dominated at a senior level in the multinational world. Um, but I would never see it that way. I would see it as an equal environment and... It's, I think, I believe that women tend to hold themselves back as opposed to not getting the opportunities. Um, everybody needs to be supported, man and woman, in mm. business. Everybody needs to feel they have that network behind them that is there for them. But the opportunities are there for men and women. I don't believe that they are... That's my view. I don't believe they're held back by the environment. They're held back perhaps by themselves. Yeah, um, Pe- people tend to not believe in themselves, and that's the worst thing you can do. It is, yeah, it is absolutely. But that can be a man or a woman too. Yes, yes, know? yes, 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 yes. Now, Network Cork, we we have a lot of interaction on the opinion line with Network Cork. Tell me what it's like to be a member of that organisation, which has grown and grown and grown. Yeah, we're actually the biggest um, uh, group in the country. Uh, the Cork branch is the most significant branch, the most active um, and uh, I'm glad to be part of it. I'm the treasurer of Network Cork, so I look after the money. Um, well, you're a good is, choice uh, to do that, wouldn't you be? <laughs> I thought I am, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a responsibility, but I'm up for it. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to be part of something that is kind of bigger than yourself, um, something that is has like-minded women who are trying to achieve, trying to get on in life, trying to build our business, trying to grow. It's similar to yourself, right? We're all in very different spaces. I'm in finance. You have people in, you know, the arts. You have people in, you know, um, consulting in different spaces and coaching and stuff. But we're all kind of with the same goal. We want to achieve and we want to, um, to bring our business forward. And uh, it's great being part of that. It really is. Yeah, you know, I know you were very small when he passed away, and it was very, very sudden. But what do you think Dad would think? Mm, I think he'd be very proud. Um, I, I think, think he so would. Too. I think so yeah, too. and I, I think he would have been proud of the fact that uh, I have three daughters, and that they look to me um, as their inspiration, as their mother, just as I did. Um, they're lucky they have their dad, though. Um, he's at home yeah. with them, and he's amazing with them. But um, I know Daddy would have looked at me and said, you know, well done, Noella. Yeah. And that would mean an awful lot, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. All right. Listen, delighted for you with the win and the success and hearing about the family and the inspiration behind it. Uh, Noella uh, Carroll, who's the managing director of Pinaclo, which is uh, financial... Financial mentoring for business um, and uh, winner of the Emerging Business at Network Cork Awards and a, a, just a, a very nice mom from Mill Street, or dad from Mill Street rather, mom from Bandon and dad passed away when she was only a little girl 
and uh, she learned how to be an entrepreneur, learned at mum's side. And there she is now. Well done, Noella. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Right, let's do this. Where is it? Gone. Where has it hidden itself? Yes, we're with Foot Solutions all this week, our friends down there on the Grand Parade. 15 years in Cork and they're celebrating with us with a €150 gift card to give you every single day. Now, for your feet, the rest will follow with Foot Solutions, of course. We've got events every day this week which happened in the past 15 years. And we want you to identify what the event was. Now, it's a very familiar voice, you're about to hear. You'll know the voice, you'll know what it is, but I want to know what the actual event was. What announcement was he making? What was he doing? Okay. And I guess in the context, as I said earlier on, of what's been going on in Britain overnight, this is kind of relevant. So if you want to tell me what has been happening here, text your answer and your name to 083 but having reflected on the need to ensure that the work of my ministerial colleagues is not distracted by, from, by incessant publicity about the tribunal, I've decided for my own volition to bring forward that date. Okay. What's happening there? You know the voice. So sometime in the past 15 years, that event. 083 396 Now, when they break it down to mobile phone use, you could spend up to eight years of your life looking at your mobile okay, phone. Okay, that's the sad bit, you yeah. see. Eight years. I would love to do a digital detox where I get rid of my mobile phone. I know friends of mine have gone back to old Nokia's, just texts and calls, that's it. I like that. It's like that until you're sitting on the toilet and you're kind of going, I'd love to watch Ozark. Yeah. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open 24-7. We're bringing all your favourite festival stars to your back garden. Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival is now streaming exclusively online. Listen on our app or go to 96FM.ie. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman and JBL. Your specialist in sound this summer. Cork's 96FM. Now we had a complaint into us about uh, trains from Cork to Dublin. I'll get to that in a little while. But uh, I want to talk to Joanna Maria um, about getting, getting higher, getting ready to bring, say, a new life into the world and preparing for changes in your life, preparing for the different stages in your life. Um, and are there preparations we can make that we might not have thought of or preparations that one can make that you might not have have thought of and for example if someone is expecting a baby and many of my listeners I'm sure are at the moment what kind of preparations can they be making for that Joanna good morning hello PJ good morning and thank you for having me on um yeah there's a lot of things like um I wrote this uh, article on my blog about it because one of the things that happen is that we are kind of a little bit disconnected from nature and we forget that we work with function through the same cycles. So one of the things that like um, I always tell women who are expecting or preparing to bring life into the world is to kind of just go through the, you know, like the physical body. Like, first of all, you see if there's uh, like everything is okay physically. 
But then another really important thing is to um, kind of just take a look at our emotions and how we function, um, our patterns, things that we might in- have inherited from our parents that are maybe not as helpful for our you know, development. And also another important thing that is kind of getting scarce in today's society is like uh, the social aspect, like really having, making sure that one has support, Mm. not only throughout the pregnancy, but also afterwards. Because one of the things that is quite neglected in our society is the postpartum um, care for women that is enormously important um and for that we kind of need you know that saying with it takes a village to raise Mm. a child and then also um you know the spiritual part of it like whatever we believe in and and it doesn't matter but to just make sure because because like belief and faith whatever that is and whatever it is in um it can help us have that sense of peace and acceptance um, you know, when things don't go to plan and things very seldom go to plan yeah. in nature. The, the values which we bring to our lives and pass on to our own children, you know, many of those li- those values come from, from our own parents. And I guess as, as time goes on and as life moves on, values change. And and the values and the the way we looked at life maybe when I was having, when my missus was having our children... Like, don't, life has changed now. Are we, are we, do we need to prepare ourselves for the new world we're bringing our children into? Well, yes and no. Like, in a way, things are, life is going to change and it's good to prepare in the sense of, it's good to prepare for the fact that there will be change and that maybe we won't understand the the generation or the way things are going to be when our children are growing up. Like, um, and, and for that, yeah, we need to prepare and to basically just understand that, that things do change. And yes, some uh, some of the beliefs that were passed down to us are not of uh, are not helpful anymore and are not of uh, they're not like they they don't apply to life uh, mm. in this day and age and for that yeah we need to prepare ourselves and to just have the acceptance like we do our best you know we, we can't do more than our best when we raise the children and of course we're going to have things that are going to be oh outdated oh mom like that's not how we do things now that's mm. normal that's life you know yeah yeah, and like mom taught you that with the best will in the world because that was her way and that was the way of the time and you learned that because you were a child of the time. Now the time has changed, so your child must learn of the time we now live in. That can lead to some disagreement with, 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 with grandma, can't it? Because, ah, oh, sure, we all did this. Times change. It's very hard to to get everything. You can't please everybody, can you? I know. And of course, and thank God it's going to lead to disagreements because that's how we move forward as humanity and as people. That's how that's how society and life and, and humanity evolves and changes through those disagreements by saying, look, mom, I know it worked. I know you did it all my love with all your love back then. It's just not the way things are. And I love you for it. I appreciate what you try to do. But yeah, I do things differently because this is my life now, you know. And as parents, we need to, you know, kind of prepare for that yeah. bit and go, oh, ouch. Yeah, because I think we've all 
as parents, um, you know, got that kind of look from an an older generation. Uh, that's not yes. the way we used to do it. To which you say, well, no, it's not. And you did your best. Now, now I'm doing my best. Exactly. And thank God it's not because some of the things that were passed down to us are not helpful right now. And maybe they weren't helpful there, but things were the way they were and Mm. they couldn't have any different. Like, um, you know, like um, I know my generation, there are back, you know, back home, there would still be teachers who would, you know, physically abuse the children when I was growing up. And, um, that's obviously not okay, and thank God that changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So your Instagram is very inspirational, I think, and a lot of people would look at look look upon it. You talk about quite a lot with within it. So for people who are may, maybe planning to welcome a new baby in the next few months, what what where would where would you start? What what's your what's your advice to them? Well, I would start at, um, first of all, just making peace with the fact that things are probably not going to be 100% the way they expect them to be. Yeah. (laughs) That's really important because, you know, we have this idea of how things are going to be and how we want to be. And you know how they say, what they say, um, the perfect parent only exists until they have children. (laughs) How true it is. How true it is. And and so so that's one of the really things. And then just really um, make sure that, you know, like if they have a partner, that the partner is on board, that they have the same outlook on on a child's education for example on um how like how they basically want to raise a child like make sure that their vision is somewhat um you know just basically rowing in the same direction um that they have physical support from you know family or friends or like now there are a lot of people who you can hire to help you in the you know pregnancy or postpartum Mm. or or doulas, or whatever, whatever, whatever feels right according to one's principles and one's, you know, life view. Mm. Um, to make sure that one also looks at themselves and says, "Look, I have a hard time." Because this is one thing that I have noticed in my work that happens quite a lot. Um, sometimes when um, people bring children to them, and this happens both with moms and dads and like all the constellations possible. Like say, for example, if one has um, a little bit of uh, trauma or, you know, like sensitivity about their mom, that is very likely to come up in and around childbirth. Mm. Um, So... So that's also something that I'm always like, yeah, you know, you might take that into account. And just when it comes up, don't, you know, don't let it completely uh, like swallow you up because you're so, so sensitive in that time around, you know, around birth and in pregnancy. You know, normally I know in in indigenous uh, societies, they say that those nine months, they are your um, they call it the creation time, which I absolutely love. And they say that that's your nine-month ceremony. And in that time, like, your job should only be to just create a human being, <laughs> you know? 
and 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 sure it nourishes and flourishes and and you are taken care of and then so yeah so these things should really be set into place and see if we're on the same page what mm. what needs to be worked out just and just have just have support i can't stress this enough Something I saw on, on your gram was a thing called spiritual abuse and how it must be avoided. Just to finish up, what is that? <laughs> yeah, well, so see, I, I work with people in this, what people call, I don't know, the spiritual world. Um, um, and many times people think it's all love and light and nice and cute and fluffy bunnies and unicorns, you know that? And um, and it's not because people in positions of power can also hurt people as we have seen throughout you know history and and people who are involved in spiritual practices are not exempt from that and um you know and again we have seen this through history in many ways but it's it's just something that has been increasing more and more um as um, people have this need for spiritual growth. They they go to circles because yeah, sometimes you know these things can really really help. What I am saying is just watch out for your leaders and don't be afraid to question any kind of leader or you know guru or you know spiritual teacher you go to, mm-hmm. in the sense that filter things through your own value system, through your core values, through your gut feeling that is really right many times and we say oh no sure they they know better because they've been doing this so I, even when people come to my circles i'm like no ask me you know question me if you if you're uncomfortable with this just tell me if you want to know where i learned this just ask me and so one of the things that i always tell people is no ask these questions they might seem uncomfortable but no ask do ask where your leaders learned do ask who you're because when you go to a ceremony in any way, you yeah. basically put your life in somebody else's hands in a way, and you need to know what they're doing. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. Don't don't and just take it all in without asking where it's coming from. Exactly, and 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 have self discernment and build yourself up like your gut, your 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 intuition, your instinct. Because many times, I'm sure, like most people can relate to that. We've had times in our life when our head was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this," and just something really tiny in us was going, "Yeah, don't," and we're like, "I'm no sure I'll be grand," and then of course, mm. it's not grand. Yeah. In the end, that's that little so inner voice. That little inner voice, yeah, <laughs> it can, it can yeah. send you. It can it can send you down the wrong path very quickly if you're not careful of it. Yeah, if you exactly, and that, and that's and that's. So what I'm saying is always like just build yourself up, build your that inner voice. Give it, give you know, give it strength. Let it be louder and kind of and and like that, one can really avoid un- unpleasant situations and. And because yeah, I've been I've been working with women who come from that particular um, type of a thing quite a lot in the last few years, and it's really heartbreaking because one of the things um, you know that happens is that like their faith not only in humanity and in people, but also in whatever else they were believing in, is broken. And that's really hard to come back from, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Because you can heal from trauma, there are things that you can do. There are therapies that are that work beautifully. You can heal from all of that, 
and when you when your faith w- was broken that's a little bit harder to to kind of come back from gotcha gotcha so, people can find you on uh, on instagram joanna uh, uh, with an I, I-O-A-N-A, Joanna Maria Iliud. Thank you very much for being with us uh, on the Opinion Line. I know it's deep and meaningful stuff, um, but certainly great food for thought in what she says. Just don't take, you know, figure out your own values. Figure out your own values. Figure out your own inspirations. Take inspiration and values from all those around you. But then, when you're done, figure out your own. 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 On Cork's 96 FM Okay, we got this in. Uh, we were travelling home from Dublin on Sunday from Houston to Kent Station on the 1 o'clock train. Irish Rail had changed my seats that I paid for before we got to Houston Sunday morning from Coach G to Coach E. There was no Coach E. People going to Limerick versus uh, Clare took all the seats. There were no names up over the seats that are supposed to be pre-booked. My partner had to sit on her suitcase outside a toilet. Tourists were crying, American tourists. They were crying on the train. They were elderly. They didn't get a seat. They found it difficult to stand while the train was moving. We helped them as best we could to make sure they didn't fall over. It was carnage and security on the train apologised for the upset and told us there was no Coach E to try to sit somewhere until the crowd get out at Thurless. It wasn't their fault. They were just left to deal with the angry public. I've tried contacting Irish Rail looking for a refund, but I have nothing back from them. Thanks and best regards. Yeah, we have um, sent in a a query to Barry Kenny at Irish Rail about that. It seems there was no coach E. uh, And if your train is down a coach, it's guaranteed to be overcrowded. So we'll see what comes back. But thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. Grenade Bruno Mars on Cork's 96 FM. There's a young chef from Cork involved in the final stages of one of the most prestigious competitions in his field. Uh, Owen Flynn from Lizard Estate is involved in the Euro Talks. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Young Chef of the Year competition. And you're, at, you're down to the last shake-up, aren't you, Owen? Good morning and congratulations. Hey, PJ, how are we getting on? I am indeed. I'm, I'm down to the final seven now. So tell me about this competition. It is very prestigious. And you, at one point, you've got to do this kind of... It's a bit like the, the programme on the telly long ago. They give you a bag of stuff and say, here, make dinner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That was the, the previous stage. It was kind of a blindfolded task where you walk in, uh, you're handed a couple of ingredients and you have 90 minutes to produce a dish in a certain style. So our style was family style. Right, right, right. I remember they, they had a whole successful television show about that a few years ago, wasn't it? When Ainsley Harriet was in it. Um, so Yeah, absolutely. So how long are you chefing, young man? Um, I started when I was just turning 18, so about six years now. Wow. And what was the inspiration? What, why, did, why was it something that you wanted to do? Um, to be honest, uh, initially it wasn't. I kind of fell into it through necessity working in the business I was in. And as I fell into it, I started to realize that it was something I really enjoyed and could see a real future in. Yeah, because we all, we all, all love our food, but very few of us would be able to prepare it at a good standard. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I know if I was having my own cookery show on television, Owen, it would be called And Nobody Died Yet. Do you know? 
<laughs> so, yeah, yeah so absolutely. Great, you know, I have I have great respect for for people with skill. Is it an apprenticeship you learn? Did you go in literally start sweeping floors and mopping counters? Is that how you start? Um, I started, yeah, uh, apprenticeship. So a uh, commie chef would be the starting point for most of us, and um, very basic task at the start: organising small prep jobs, and just from there work my way up. Have you a particularly particular kind of food you love working with? Um, I suppose most most of what I do uh, still to this day is based on classical French cuisine. So it's what I would learn in college, and it's it's what most colleges teach. So my cooking is still very much based on that that building block. Right, and this then Eurotalk Young Chef of the Year. Tell me about that competition. Um, so it's run by Eurotalks, which is an industry founded in Ireland by Myrtle Allen of Ballymaloo. Okay. And um, they seek to protect and preserve the culinary heritage in Ireland. And uh, they also provide this platform I'm currently in uh, to young chefs to grow and learn more about the community and culture they're in food-wise and just to experience new things. Right. And you're in the final shake-up now. What, what happens if you win? What's the, what, are the, what are the accolades if you win? Uh, well, if I win, it's it's mentorship and it's it's another chance to provide more opportunities to me from the leaders in Eurotalks and from industry leaders in Ireland uh, to give me a chance to step forward into show maybe greater opportunities or or, or um, just greater career prospects. Okay. And when when is the next stage now? Oh, uh, the final stage is on the twenty fifth of September, and between now and then we have three outings with Eurotalks. Um, based on food and learning and improving our skills. Okay. And do you mind me asking you this? Do you remember when they gave you the, the bag of stuff and said, here, make dinner? What was in it and what did you make? Um, so the one key ingredient we had to use was two fillets of mackerel. Right. And then we had a fairly large, well, a fairly large mini pantry. So a, a selection of ingredients we could use as we please. Right. Um, I ended up putting together uh, cured and grilled mackerel with a cauliflower puree, butter glazed asparagus, and then I used a lot of uh, asparagus trimmings and cauliflower trimmings to prepare little garnishes, pickled and grilled and whatnot. And I did a side salad with braised endive and fresh endive with a plankton emulsion. I love mackerel. So I can actually taste it. <laughs> Listen, yeah, congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's a very solid fish. It's a fine, Thank you. It's, and it's a, it, you know what? It's, it's, it's an underrated fish because if it's cooked really well, yeah, it, it's such a gorgeous, a gorgeous fish to eat. Thank you so much. Owen, Owen Flint from Lizard Estate, and he's one of the finalists in the Eurotalk or Eurotalk competition. We'll catch up with him again uh, later in the year. He's only 25 years of age. Okay. <coughs> I don't know if you're watching. Excuse me. <coughs> I, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, Hey, listen, it's the first three-hour show since I was dealing with this all weekend, so we're, we're almost there. Um, I don't know if you watched any of it over the weekend, uh, the Jubilee. Um, it was all over the telly, it was all over social media, it was all over the newspapers. Britain just basically just let its hair down for three or four days to pay its respects uh, to... Um, to Queen Elizabeth, um, 70 years on the throne. When you think about it, like there she was, she was 26 years of age when she was landed this job that she kind of probably knew she'd have one day, but never wanted it at the time. Um, 
Joe Byrne, were you watching her over the weekend? Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You have were a wonderful day. You had a great yeah. You you're down in Riverstick at the moment, are you? I'm down in Riverstick having coffee and gelatos with my friends Chris and Elaine. Absolutely wonderful. Okay. Sitting out in the sun. Good, good. Well, 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 well you might. It's the way to be, yeah. I know. Were you watching the Queen over the weekend? Oh, I didn't stop it. Oh, it's my not. God. Uh, yeah, the only interruption I had was having to walk on Friday. I should have taken the day off for the St. Paul's Mass, but I missed that. But I got everything else. I mm. got the pageant, I got the concert, I got the whole lot. I wouldn't miss a bit of it, BJ. I love it. Why are you so... I know you've talked with this before. You, you're mad about the woman. Why? Well, you see, when I was a kid, my mother... Lord of Mercy, and say she must have known I was gay at 12 because I constantly wanted little magazines from the royal family. And he would have a portrait of Prince Philip up on my bedroom wall when he was in. Yeah, he was the fine looking Prince Philip, you know. Right. And um, my brothers just paid hell off me, of course, but that's another story. <laughs> no, but I don't know. I think it's the pomp and ceremony and uh, the grandeur and uh, the clothes and all that and the bit of gossip. You know, you're there. Oh, can you see Harry and Meghan? Oh, Jesus, look at them. They're not talking to anybody. You know, there's a bit of, yeah. a bit of um, drama to it. And then you're seeing who's there and then you're seeing what they're wearing. And I suppose as a hairdresser, I love all the fashion and the hair and the bit of pomp and ceremony, as I say, and come now. I think in my last life, I must have been a royal, either Catherine the Great or Joseph the Great or somebody. Because I feel in my last life, there was something there with royalty. PJ, or maybe I was a servant. I don't know what I was. Do, do you think that, I was watching the different attitudes over the weekend, Joe, to, to some people just will not have anything to do with even countenancing, countenancing the fact that we should maybe congratulate the woman for 70 years doing the same job. Others then said, you know what, in the end we made friends, let's wish her well. Where do you stand there? I'd be very much like that in the latter. In the end we made friends, in the end we made friends, wish her well and move on. I know now we have history and nobody is denying that and, you know, it did happen. But now it's time to move on and she personally, like, you know, is a strong woman. She, she has a lot to put up with her family, the way all people do. But in such a public situation, she's been brilliant, I think. You know what I mean? Now, I wouldn't have much time for the rest of them now when they're gone. I think when she goes, that might be the end of it. Yeah. You might get Charles out and I'll say after that, we'll flit away. Yeah, I, I, we've only discussing that actually with my own Queen Bee at the weekend. Like that, you know, whatever time Liz has left, once, once she um, passes she- away... I yeah. think that that could well be the end of them, and as, yeah. as the huge thing that thing that they are. What did you think of the Paddington Bear sketch? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was hilarious, PJ, and fair juice for for Dune. It just shows that she has a bit of sense of humour. Now, someone said it was an actress. Oh Jesus, not at all. That was our Elizabeth. I know. Do you think so? Oh yeah, totally, one hundred percent. But PJ, when you know we're in the salon, like if you have a customer comes in and she's waiting, give it a low magazine with the royal family on it, and she's glued for an hour. She can forget she's waiting. You know, people still have an interest and look love looking at the clothes and comparing the dresses and comparing the hair. Like I'll have a couple of the low magazines you now next week, and they'll all be looking at them. They'll even be pages torn out. Of them, right. I mean? And will they be coming in looking for Kate's hairdo, for example? <laughs> They might be, but I don't know where they get us. <laughs> He's looking for it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so my mind now be looking for things that they can't get at all. God bless them. Joe. We're going to do our best.
Joe. Oh no, they don't need it, PJ. When they come into me, they're beautiful already. You know what I mean? I know. I, I know. just, I just, I just enhance their beauty. But just getting back to, no, my brother doesn't think now, PJ would actually slap the head off me if they thought I was looking at it. You know what I mean? They would be so disgusted with me. But I do love the the pomp and ceremony. I see a lot of people do. It's a bit of. I went into Flannery's Bar the other day at at Friday, PJ, just before you go. And they were looking at the races. This right. is Flannery's bar now the races. I said, lads, would you turn over for Her Majesty? And then I did a kind of a courtesy. <laughs> oh ran off again. <laughs> you did, you? But they, no, they the, get a bit of banter out of the that. The concert though. was brilliant. Amazing, but poor old Rod Stewart and David. He's not, not no, no, no. But look, he's not, he's not, he's not far off eighty. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. The lineup, I think, wasn't great. Only for Diana Ross, I think she saved the day. I think the lineup yeah. wasn't, wasn't the best. Adam Lambert has really done a good job with fronting Queen, but oh, Jesus, he was brilliant, wasn't he? Ah, but look, there'll never be another Freddie, but he's the closest. No. Not, He's the closest yeah. we have vocally. He was brilliant, yeah. and uh, yeah, like you said, Diana Ross, another another woman who's who's pushing on, you know. But poor old Rod wasn't great at all. She's, I thought Diana when she was coming down the steps, I was there on the oh jeez, she's going to fall. <laughs> You know what I mean? She she because the face is perfect, but I say the rest is gone. You know what I mean? It's a bit like sure, uh, Joe. <laughs> You're not wrong, though. You're not wrong. You're not wrong not. No, and that's, that's mine, Louis. Come here to me, though. Did you see the picture? And I know they're the ones like are kind of cast aside now. They're kind of royal, but not royal. Lilibet, the little one. Yeah. Isn't she the head of, of Elizabeth? Absolutely, yeah. That bop off her, Joe. Yeah. The missus says to me, show, we were down in Baltimore last evening, you know, and uh, she pops across the phone and says, would you take a look at the old? She's the head of the Queen. Yeah, that's why they call her Lilibet Dynasty. Yeah. And she'll be, she'll be the Queen over there. And now she, I say, Megan, Megan and Harry are gone now. I say, once they go back, we won't see them again. That's the next time now before Queenie's funeral. Should they have it there at all? When, to when, when, they want to be, when they want to be relevant... We'll see. Yeah. We'll see them. We'll see them. It's sad to watch her though, in that she couldn't go to so many yeah. things. It is. It is a little bit sad. You'd hope now they can. Do you think that she'll? Do you think Joe that she'll actually pack it in? No, and, she and, won't. She won't no? leave to Charles because Charles she could even see when when Charles and Camila came out. There wasn't the same buzz at all. She she's going to want to keep together, and I think she knows when she goes. That's it. Do you know what I mean? She's going to keep it going till the end for her juicer. And I say she's coming out now next year, even if she's on a wheelchair, she'll still be at it. But yeah. I like she came out at the end with the green outfit and all that and just had the, had the you know, last wave. That was yes. fantastic. I was delighted with that. And that's the thing. She Clearly, she is well enough to come out, but she, it's mobility. She seems a huge mobility. And she won't use a wheelchair. That seems to be the thing. She's, if you were to read the Royal Correspondence, she absolutely refuses to use yeah. a, to use a wheelchair. Come here, there was a lot of stuff. There was dead dancing. There was people doing ABBA. It was a real party for the weekend. Oh, it was, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there, but I could even feel the buzz. When that now in Britain got talent the weekend, I was stuck to the telly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was a great weekend, wise. And I know now people say how silly it is, but this last time we'll have a big, big pageant like that. A big. Oh, do you know what reminds me of St. Patrick's Day Parade? Oh, that's what I was thinking. Jesus have taken the idea from all St. Patrick's Day Parade. The pageant was very like a St. Patrick's Day Parade. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I remember being there in 77. I'm showing my age now. They're there in 77 for the Silver Jubilee and the crowds turning out everywhere. You, you cannot but. Uh, you know, you have to. They love their queen over there. 
They but absolutely they also, they, they know how to do a party. See the horses, the way they go, one foot is exactly yes. the other, like, I don't know what to call them, hoof is it? Dressage, but that's like, incredible dressage, yeah. The, how they do it is unbelievable. Yeah, and the trooping of the but, colour and the poor fellow that always, that, yeah. that always falls over. Yeah. yeah, but PJ, I was thinking, I don't know what you think it is, if when she dies, hopefully I'm still alive when she goes, that she might send me over as a correspondent reporter to report on it, put me up in the Hilton and I could do, do all that. There have been worse ideas on this programme. <laughs> now, PJ, there's one for you. Go on, you messer. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <coughs> Joe Bourne. Uh, look, I don't know what you thought of the Jubilee over the weekend. I watched a little bit of it on the telly. I liked the concert. I enjoy Adam Lambert. Um, I love the pomp and ceremony and the pageantry of it all. They do it really well, no matter what you think. And I think after she was here a number of years ago in Cork, a lot of people warmed to her just a bit. And there's no harm in that at all. All right, that's it. The programme today, edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. Our winner, oh yes, line four, Regina Landy. Regina, uh, what are we talking about here? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, His resignation. Bertie Ahern's resignation. Gotcha. You're our winner today with Foot Solutions. Thank you, Regina. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.